Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Hey, Carol. Good afternoon, Dee. How's your day going? It's been going great. I was out in the garden. I'm having trouble with my uh, cutting garden, but we don't need to talk about that today. So I was out there working in it. I was out earlier today. I went out at 6.30 a.m. And it's perfectly nice out there, except the mosquitoes ruin it for everybody. Ruin it, ruin it, ruin it. Except for other mosquitoes. I assume it's good for them, but it really is irritating how bad they are. I guess. All the rain, all the rain, all the water, and the mosquitoes are having a heyday, and the garden is as lush as I've ever seen it in the entire time I've been here. Me too. Pretty much the exact same weather. I'm not kidding. And we both have had, well, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but we both have some flowers that are blooming at the same time, which is kind of unusual for us, I think. Yes, we do. And they're, they're blooming a little later than normal this year, in my opinion. And that's our flower for this week, the peony. Don't you have a quote for us? I do have a peony quote. Let me pull it up here. Are you ready? Here's the quote. I am so ready. It always seemed to me that the herbaceous peony is the very epitome of June. Larger than any rose, it has something of the cabbage rose's voluminous quality, and when it finally drops from the vase, it sheds its petticoats with a bump on the table, all in an intact heap, much as a rose will suddenly fall, making us look up from our book or conversation to notice for one moment the death of what had still appeared to be a living beauty. Vita Sackville-West. Could that woman write or what? She could. Now, our peonies are done by June, but other than that... Can I just say really quickly, I've been to her garden. I know you've been to her garden. I have. Are you jealous? A little bit. You're going to have to come across the uh, ocean with me. I might. You know, my white SUV is named Vita after Vita Sackville-West because she had the all-white garden. I know. Vita and I go plant shopping. We go see gardens together. Me and Vita. You and Vita. I think Vita, the real Vita, would have loved that. Um, Her garden is probably one of my favorite gardens in England. It's not as big as people might think, and it's not just about the white garden. There's so much more going on over there, and when I was there... Two years ago, three years ago, uh, they were in the process of restoring it to look like it did when she had it. Because, you know, gardens change. Nice. Yeah. They did a big... They do change. uh They do. And they did a big um, series on it on our favorite show on the BBC, A Gardener's World. Anyway, back to our flower of the day. Sorry, I diverted. So I had a big bouquet of peonies on my kitchen table last week, and I put, put a picture of them on Facebook... And I swear I had more likes and comments on that picture than anything else I've ever posted on Facebook. Yeah, my peony pictures and my rose pictures always get a ton of interaction because, well, people love them. Who can blame them? They're both, they're just amazing flowers. So the peony, our peony, you know, you said yours are basically done. Mine are done too. And I didn't bring any in this year because I'll be honest, I was working really hard Uh, in the garden to get the garden open and we had so much rain that a lot of my peonies um, didn't handle the rain so well this year but you know that's okay 
every year is different. Yeah, and driving around the, around town this morning earlier, I noticed that a lot of the peonies are, the flowers are almost touching the ground because they just aren't being held up by anything, which is okay. I don't, I don't do a yeah. lot to support my peonies. I actually have peony supports around mine, or I grow something right next to them that holds them up. And we're talking right now about herbaceous peonies, which there are three types of peonies, and I guess we should we should talk about that. The herbaceous ones are the most common, They're the ones that everybody's grandmother grew and the ones that you see at the box store in the spring. But actually, if you order our peonies from a, a nursery, you'll receive the roots in fall, right. the roots in the eyes. But um, I have I have grown both. I've grown all three types. I've grown herbaceous. I've grown Ito, which are intersectional peonies, named after Dr. Ito. And then I've grown tree peonies. And I've got to say, I have not succeeded with either Ito peonies or tree peonies. I'm not saying you can't grow them in Oklahoma. I'm just saying I've not been successful with them. They They peter out after a little while. So I'm sticking with the herbaceous ones. Right. And until this year, I had only herbaceous peonies. I had some that I had uh, that were the same ones that my dad grew along the side of the house. So those are very special to me. And, um, you know, I've had them for 20 plus years, I guess. And they've just mm-hmm. grown fine. And I've dug them and divided them. And every once in a while, I'll dig them in the fall and create new starts and give some away. I have no tree peonies because the tree peony I always heard was one of those flowers that just about the time it's ready to bloom in the spring, something catastrophic happens and then it doesn't bloom, yeah. like a late frost or a big thunderstorm. And so I thought, I don't need that aggravation. Right. And so intersectional peonies have that, they have that big bloom, like the tree peony, which is huge and kind of um, almost not feathery, that's not the papery looking to me. And then they're kind of a mix between herbaceous and uh, tree peonies. So you get a different bloom on them. And they're very popular right now. I see them at all the fancy nurseries in town. I'd be interested from our listeners who's having success growing them. Um, they always die out for me, but it doesn't matter. I th- still think they're really cool. One thing you mentioned that I thought was really important is that you divide, you dig and divide your peonies in the fall. There's a lot of talk about how you can't replant peonies. Once you decide where they're going to be, that's where they have to be forever, and it's just not true. No. that's How do you think they get handed down from grandma to her daughter to that daughter and or through the sons or whatever? They get handed down by digging and dividing in the fall. I have an Ito peony that I bought this spring. You do? And mm-hmm. I did not find it at the fancy nursery. I found it at Sam's Club. For cheap. Oh, that's right. I remember you talking about that. So I was, I put it out in the perennial border and um, had big, beautiful yellow blooms. It's the Bartzella is the variety. Yeah. And uh, yeah, which was one of the first ones that came out, the first named ones that came out. So now they're actually able to reproduce it more. It used to be like a hundred bucks. Last year, I think I saw them for 80. This year they're down to closer to 40, 45. And I ended up paying less than that at Sam's Club. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I didn't I didn't jump on the I didn't jump on the intersectional peony bandwagon. Um I grew Barzella, tried to. I didn't have any luck with it. I'll be interested to see if it likes Indiana's climate better than it likes 
my garden's climate. Well, and we shall see. So far, it bloomed lovely. And then, uh, as Vita Sackville West sort of proclaimed, I didn't cut it to bring inside, but I noticed that there was a big pool of petals on the ground, so it must have dropped all its petals at once. That's what almost all of my peonies do. I'll come out one day and look at them outside, and all of a sudden, there are just this little littering of petals everywhere. I probably have 20... I bet I have 20 peonies right now because I went through a stage where I would like every fall song sparrow nursery way up north sends me a wonderful catalog in fact they email me and tell me peonies are in and then also I peony envy that's another place I've bought a bunch from but um they you know they remind me and then I fall for it and so I'm running out of places to put them right and I I'm very proud of the fact that um I bought one peony about at least 20 years ago and the other peonies I have are from either from my dad or there was a friend that I knew at work that brought me some and that's the only ones in my garden so I'm pretty proud of that I didn't have anybody to hand me on peonies so I have them I have them I bought all mine but I guess I could hand on some of them they they do really well here super easy easy to grow um do you know what I get asked about on peonies every year? You get asked about the ants, Dee, and do they need ants to, in order to open up the flowers? Well, I would love for you. I would love for you to think that that's what people in Oklahoma ask me. No, they say, "What insecticide should I use on my peonies to get rid of the ants?" That's what they ask oh, here. No, no, no pesticides. <laughs> no, that's crazy and I always talk. Say, I always say, you know what? The ants are. I figure that. Okay, first of all, we can say that that's not true. That peonies need ants to open the blossoms. It's not true. I think some garden communicator. Um, made that up at some point because they got tired of being asked about pesticides. So they said, oh, well, they need them to open them up. That's not true. It's a form of biological mutualism. The ants don't hurt the peonies, so you don't need to kill them. Um, And they do eat other insects that are on the flowers. So if there's an insect that wants to eat the peony, the ants will defend the peony because why? The, The peony is going to give them nectar, and the ants want the nectar. So they'll drink the nectar, and then the peony doesn't get eaten by other creatures. And once the peony's through producing nectar and its blossoms are all open, then the ants go away. And the ants didn't bother you a bit. Other, nope. And if you're going to bring in flowers and there are ants on them, just shake them off. Just shake them off. And I also heard that you can dip them down into like to the water, fill your sink with a little bit of cold water and dip it down in there. And they'll, they'll go scrambling away. Right, you could probably do the same thing with your sprayer on a very light spray. Just don't ruin your peony. So, right. so we now know the answer about ants and peonies. It won't hurt anybody. No. And even if an ant got in your house, big deal. Big whoop. Well, out where I live, it's Spiderville. So why would an ant be a problem, really? I've got exactly. ants too sometimes. There are a couple of peony diseases we should tell people about. Yeah, one's a real problem here. Is it a problem there? Botrytis? The the botrytis blight is not a huge problem. The best way to keep it from spreading, and you might get a little blight, and which will show up as brown lesions on the leaves. You might get a little blight, and it's not going to hurt anything. What you do in the fall is you cut that thing down to ground level, and if you can get down in the ground a little bit and cut it off, because... 
the botrytis fungus overwinters in the stem. And so you got to get rid of that stem, and then you throw that in the trash. Right. And that should minimize it, and you won't have that big a problem, I would hope. Right. I get it every year, and I just cut them all the way back, and then I just throw it away. I, I guess I read a long time ago in some catalog that I should dig them all up and be freaked out about it, but I'll be honest, it hasn't made a bit of difference in how they bloom, and so I just cut them back. They can also suffer from powdery mildew some years. Um, I'll be honest, I think I've only seen it once in my garden, and even this year with it being just as wet as it could possibly be, I haven't really seen any. Have you seen any? I usually see a little bit of it, but it's usually in July or August when it's just the foliage, and then you'll see some powdery mildew again. It doesn't really affect the vigor of the plant. And here's the thing about peonies. They are beautiful for the few weeks in the spring that they are blooming. Once Mm -hmm. that's over, they're just a big round mound of leaves, which could be subject to diseases. So you kind of need to place them somewhere where you can plant other stuff around them and maybe hide them a little bit. I feel the same way about iris. You know, good old-fashioned bearded iris, they're the same way. And unfortunately, in Oklahoma, I don't know about Indiana, but in Oklahoma, both iris and peonies get hit by rain really hard. And so they're only going to bloom for those few you know, those few weeks, and then they get hit by rain. So when you see rain coming, just go on and cut your peonies and cut your iris and bring them inside and enjoy them. That's a great suggestion, Dee. And I did enjoy a big bouquet last week. The other thing that I did last week, for the very first time, I'm going to try to force peonies into bloom in a month or so. So I went out and cut the peony buds when they were showing some color And they said they should be sort of squishy like a marshmallow. And then they said, wrap them, you know, dry them off, wrap them in saran with the stem and everything, put them in the back of the refrigerator. And then in four or five weeks, I should be able to take them out, recut the end of the stem and get them to bloom again. So that's my big experiment. That's a cool experiment. I'm impressed that you're doing it at all. The other thing, I've got a secret project I'm working on with my peonies. What's that? Oh, it's well, secret. You're it's not, secret. You're not going to tell me, are you? I'm going to tell you that it involves, I'll tell you, in a. am working on something that's going to be a Christmas present related to the peonies, and that's all I can say. Cool. I love it. You had something else that you wanted to say about uh, peonies, and... I did have something else, Dee. It's, it's really very exciting. It is. I didn't know it. Peony blossoms are edible, and our friend Ellen Zakos will be delighted that we are preaching the backyard foraging of your peony blossoms. And they supposedly taste lovely fresh in a salad, or if they're lightly cooked and sweetened. And I got to tell you, I think that they smell so strong. I don't know that I think they would be lovely in a salad, but I guess if you just threw a if you, if you threw a few on top, maybe to add some, I don't know, zip to it. But with anything that like peonies are edible, don't bo- go filling a bowl with peony blossoms, you know, and then eating it like a bowl of cereal. Anytime you try a new food Yuck. that's foreign to you like this, try just a little bit to make sure mm-hmm. that it's agreeable to you. You know, now that you said the part about how they can be put in 
uh, with some sugar. I bet you can make peony syrup. And actually, I've kind of heard of that. Yeah, and we'll have to look that up. If we can find a link for some peony syrup, we'll put it on our our um, notes. Or we'll tell Ellen Zakos to go forage some peonies and try to make it for us. That's a better idea. There we go. I think that's better. Let's have let's have Ellen do that for us. So, <laughs> um, should we also talk about um, how you found out that peonies were edible? Yes, that's, I, I was excited to tell you that several years ago, I ran into a garden writer named Buckner Hollingsworth, and she wrote a book called Gardening on Main Street, which was about her garden in Windsor, Vermont. And in reading that book. I found out she wrote this book called Flower Chronicles, where she talked about all these different flowers, and one of those was the peony, and this was published in 1958. And so that's where I read that the peony blossoms were edible. Mm-hmm. And I also found out, and this is really interesting, Dee, Buckner Hollingsworth's sister, Mary, was the woman who Wallace Simpson's husband supposedly had an affair with, which allowed Wallace to have grounds for divorce, which you needed in England back in the early 1900s. And so she could marry the King of England, who, as we know, advocated his throne to marry Wallace Simpson. So it all kind of led me Hmm. down into this spiral of history. And so suddenly I'm reading all about Wallace Simpson. I read her biography And supposedly Buckner's sister, Mary, there's a biography for her, but it was like $75 on, and I thought, I'm not spending $75 to read her biography. That she had an affair with Wallace Simpson's husband. I think you also had to have grounds in the United States for divorce in the 1950s. And so Wallace was an American. Now, it's an alleged affair, because some people say that Mary didn't really have an affair with Wallace's husband. But it was all this sort of grand scheme to make it seem like there was an affair so that Wallace could get a divorce and marry the King of England. Wow. So it's all very, you know, and there's there's yeah. all kinds of articles. Tawdry. Yeah. There's all kinds of articles <laughs> coming about about Wallace Simpson, about how she didn't really want to marry the King of England. But, you know, once the wheels keep moving, then they keep moving and you can't hardly stop history. You know, I think Wallace wanted to be queen. I think she didn't want him to leave the throne. You know, I think she being herself, she thought she could have it all. And instead, she got to just travel all over the world with him. But anyway. And and live in exile in France. And actually, it ended up probably the way it should have ended up, because I think the right king was king. But what do I know? I'm an American. Exactly. The peony was also once the flower of royalty in China, because it represented wealth and royalty and longevity, which that got overthrown when Chinese royalty got overthrown. And so now it's the plum blossom for the National Republic of China, which is Taiwan to Americans, because it represents resilience and perseverance in the face of adversity. I would say that probably holds true for Taiwan because they've been trying to be mainline China for ever since this all happened. The People's Republic of China, which is China as we know it, does not have a floral symbol. I guess they, you know, they're also serious. So, well, it's also the state flower of Indiana, much to the chagrin. That's right. Much to the chagrin of the Native Plant Society members and others. The peony, which is not native to Indiana, it's native to China, 
is this is our state flower well don't you guys have a native wildflower too that's how we dealt with it in oklahoma I don't think we do. No, you do not. Uh, we have a native tree, oh. a state tree, the tulip tree that's native, but I do not think they have a native mm-hmm. wildflower. I'll have to look that up. Huh, interesting. Something to look up. Um, and we were speaking of royalty, so let's move on to our vegetable, if you're finished. I'm finished. With the peony. I'm finished with the peony. They're done blooming, and I'm done talking so, about them. Okay, they're done blooming. We're done talking about them here, too. And I think it's funny that we also have clematis all blooming, that you and I have them blooming at the same time. Tons of clematis. That's the first flower that we have both been able to post about in real time. Yes. Isn't that interesting? There might be others. But moving, yeah, I'm sure there are others. Moving on. Who is the the royalty of the vegetable garden? Why, of course, D, it's the tomato. It's the tomato. Which plant does every gardener want to grow right off the bat besides strawberries? Tomatoes. Exactly. And like you pointed out in um, our talk earlier, there are whole books written on tomatoes like the one called Epic Tomatoes by Craig LaHouye. And it, it would blow your mind with all the varieties. And wow, tomatoes. Let's talk about what it takes to grow tomatoes. You do it. Okay, so I think the key to growing great tomatoes is buy healthy plants. First of all, they they shouldn't be showing any signs of disease or insect damage. They should be a nice, uh, healthy green color. You want to plant them Mm -hmm. deep in the ground. And you you Mm -hmm. take off some of the lower leaves if you have to. Plant them deep all along that stem underground. The roots will form, make a strong plant. Give them full sun. Keep them watered. Wait to fertilize until after they start blooming because you don't want to fertilize and then just end up with all kinds of leaves. And definitely provide them some kind of support. You cage, I stake. Right. I have a funny story about that, about fertilization. Go ahead with your funny story. About for my grandmother. Okay, so my grandmother, I remember this. This is why I remember about fertilizing tomatoes. Sometimes I'll put a little bit of a a broad-spectrum fertilizer in the bottom of the hole, but and mixing them with the dirt for the beginning, but you don't want too much nitrogen. And the reason I know this is my grandmother, Nita, who I posted a picture of on Instagram this week, she told me this great story when I was a kid. I didn't really understand it at the time, but now I get it. She was saying she was chuckling because her neighbor came over to her house and he was mansplaining to her. She didn't use that term because she was, you know, this is the 1970s, but he was explaining to her how she needed to grow her tomatoes. Well, that picture of my grandmother has her standing with her tomatoes. That woman could grow tomatoes, right? Right. And so they're taller than she is because they're indeterminate varieties. Anyway, he is telling her she's out there planting and he's telling her how to grow the tomatoes. And he tells her that she needs to take ammonium nitrate, which is you know, nitrogen, pneumonium nitrate fertilizer and put it around, around her tomatoes in a circle at the drip line. And he's got all these facts and all these figures. And she politely listened to him and she said, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Thank you. And she did not do that. And then later on, she took me outside to their adjoining vegetable patches and guess what his tomatoes looked like. They were huge and, (laughs) but no fruit. (laughs) And they, they had no fruit, and on top of not having any fruit, they also <laughs> they also were plagued by insects. Because as we know, as gardeners, if you give a plant too much nitrogen and give it all that fresh growth, it says to every insect in the neighborhood, come eat me. Exactly. So that's my story. That is a very good story. 
So you mentioned indeterminate versus determinate. We've covered this before, but an indeterminate tomato keeps growing from the, but basically the, the terminal bud up. It does have little side right. shoots, and we sucker those off so we get a nice tall plant until we get tired of suckering. And then okay, but let me let me just say something about that really quick. In Oklahoma, um, I don't always pull off all of my suckers because it gets so hot here that they get scalded. So I leave a few. But go ahead. Some yeah. people take them all off because they don't have. It's not as hot as it is here. So it's hot, and I don't want those. And you can tell you've got one of those spots because your tomato will look like it's been um, whited out yes. on one side. It's sunburned is what it is. So keep going. Well, and that's a very good point. And when I say, so I sucker um, until they're about four feet high or whatever, and then I kind of get bored with it, and I don't sucker them as mm-hmm. much as I should. Then the other type is the determinants, and that's more of a bush, I would say. It doesn't just keep growing mm-hmm. taller and taller. It kind of grows as a bush. They, too, benefit from support to try to keep the plant up off the ground because you want to keep the tomato fruit up off the ground because on the ground it could rot or it's very easily got by chipmunks and squirrels and anything else. They'll take one bite out of it, and then it's ruined. Ruined. Yeah, and who wants to do that to the queens of the garden, right? Right. And so determinate tomatoes were created partly for the canning industry. Yes. Because when you make ketchup, you want all of that crop to come in at one time. And so many different tomatoes were created for that. And actually, determinate tomatoes do really well in Oklahoma, especially disease-resistant varieties, because we have a lot of diseases here. And the determ- we only have about a month-long season of really big tomato production anyway so i grow some determinants and some indeterminates both right and the determinants are also very good often for container gardens yes because they stay small they don't grow you know try to grow six feet tall right and i got a determinate variety that i believe proven winters send me and uh so i'll be planting that into a container to see how that grows and i off the top of my head, I don't know the variety, but I will someday know the variety. Or we'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, we can put it on the show notes. Um, I think it's one that's coming out next year. Right. It's a 2020 introduction. Yeah, it's, that's the one we're testing. And, um, in fact, it's right outside, but, oh, gosh, I don't remember the name of it right now. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were going to talk about it. That's okay. Um, yes, I got two of those. And then I also got some seeds from All-American Selections and I'm growing some of those seeds. And in fact, I'm working on a tomato post for Red Dirt Ramblings today, which I'll, I will turn around and post tomorrow at the same time we upload our um, Garden Angelus episode. And I will talk about both of those. I do know that in the name of the tomato is Good Harvest for the Proven Winners one. And then I'll look up the other, I think, three that I'm growing for AAS too. That sounds great. We should talk about um, that some people like me... I pick tomatoes when they're a little bit green. Um, They're not totally green. They've started to turn color, and I bring them inside. Why would I do that, Carol? To protect them from the wildlife. Exactly, because raccoons, squirrels, chipmunks. I don't have chipmunks, thank God, but, 
you know, other people do. Um, all of those creatures, crows for that matter, love to peck a hole in your tomato. So I bring them in when they're just a little bit green. I turn them upside down on the table so that they don't rot, so that they're on their little shoulders. And then I let them ripen the rest of the way on my table. You do not put tomatoes in the refrigerator because if you put them in the refrigerator, they quit ripening. And that's true of tomatoes you buy at the store, too, for that matter. Right. Shall we talk about some of the problems with tomatoes and how hard they can be to grow? Yeah, this is probably the, you know, everybody thinks that, <laughs> let's grow tomatoes. That ought to be easy. But there's some things that can happen out there. Bad Whoa. things can happen, D. Bad, bad tell things. Them about, tell them about blossom end rot. Yeah, I think something that Carol and I and the rest of the middle part of the country where we've had all this rain are going to deal with over and over in the beginning is going to be blossom end rot. It's not a disease. It just means that it has a lack of calcium in the soil. And you'll see lots of home remedies for solving the calcium problem. Those don't work. Um, It's been proven by the garden, what do they call the garden teachers, garden sages, garden scientists? Garden professors. The garden professors. See, I couldn't think of the word. Um, The garden professors have proven that those don't work. So here's the thing. When you see blossom end rot, which is really gross and ugly on your tomatoes, just throw them away because you'll get more tomatoes and subsequent harvests will be fine. It just, it all happens because there is a inconsistency in the water pattern. That's right. And because we've had so much rain, we're going to have inconsistency in the water pattern. Yes, it's going to be a problem. I see it a lot on my Roma tomatoes, especially. They're the worst. And a couple of the um, main slicers have trouble with it, too. I haven't noticed it so much on the salad tomatoes. They seem almost impervious to it, but maybe because they don't have such a big surface. Yeah, the cherry tomatoes are usually fine. And then you talk about the tomato blights. Why do I got to talk about the bad stuff, D? Well, I just talked about blossom end rot. It's pretty bad. The blights are bad, too. So there, there are all kinds of blights that can attack tomatoes, and they turn the leaves brown. And uh, there's mid-season blights, and there's late-season blights, and sometimes people want to know, which blight do I have? It really doesn't matter. Just if you, <laughs> It's just a blight. <laughs> here's what I do. I try to pull off blighted leaves as they show up to try to keep it from spreading around the whole plant. And throw those mm-hmm. in the trash. If I see an entire plant that is just blighted to death, I do it and my garden a favor, and I yank it out and I throw it in the trash. There's no sense just letting that blight flourish out there. And let's talk about that for a minute. That okay? So, have you lost any tomato plants yet this year? Because I have. No, to, to blight. No, 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 not to blight. To rain. <laughs> I've lost and to cutworms. I've lost them to rain and cutworms both. And I do a lot of things to try to stop cutworms. Cutworms love new transplants. And so a lot of times I'll take a very large nail, you know, like a big nail, and I'll stick it down next to the plant, or I'll use my plant tag, anything I can use to keep that stupid worm from cutting off, you know, making a C and cutting off my plant. But in spite of this, (laughs) I have lost... I'd say three tomato plants so far. And what they've done is they've crawled to the top of the nail and cut the dang tomato off at the top. So the reason I'm telling people this is that bad things happen. Bad things do happen. I have to laugh, Dee, because you say, (laughs) has anything bad happened to my tomato plants? Dee, I literally planted them in the garden two days ago 
on Sunday morning. Oh, that's right. So <laughs> I went out today and I looked and everything looks fine so far for my tomatoes and my peppers. Oh, good luck then. I hope I hope it continues. Well, I'm still planting because I actually planted... I got some more tomato plants in to test from Proven Winners, and then I also had started seeds, but I started them late. So I was waiting for those to grow on a little bit before I put them out. So I put a few more out today, too. And I also put out some peppers, and I put out Hansel eggplants to go with my Gretels. Hansel and Gretel. Very cute. Yeah. Well, I I have uh, one more tomato variety. The little greenhouse around the corner has black cherry tomato seeds seedlings oh my gosh i love black i love black cherry tomatoes one of the best she she forgot about them so she started them late and i was there sunday and i said you're gonna save some back for me i need four because i plant a lot of cherry tomatoes because i'm insane you do love cherry tomatoes more than anybody i know but you know what i've been using cherry tomatoes a lot in cooking lately so i've got some good recipes to use cherry tomatoes in so if you get tired of eating them fresh. I have a section of fence between me and my neighbor, and I'll say it gets sun from about noon on. It's a little bit shadier than I'd like in the mornings, or maybe it's a little shadier in the mm-hmm. afternoon. I can't remember. I plant an entire row, so it's like a, I don't know, 24 feet. So I plant cherry tomatoes all along there, and then I just pick them all summer long. And it's nice, to, mm-hmm. and I let her have some, and I have some. And I do love them on salads and things. I have several this year that are cherry tomatoes, too. Um, I like a broad range of tomatoes, and I grow every different kind. And actually, since I lost about three or four plants, I'm going to run to the greenhouse and pick up a couple of determinate varieties to go with all those indeterminates that I decided to try from the tomato man's daughter. I should have bought some more determinate ones from her too but i was overwhelmed by the selection um we also need to talk about root knot nematodes well so d you're gonna have to talk about root knot nematodes because i don't have that problem here i've never had a problem that i know of with root knot nematodes so okay well you don't know you have them until you pull up the plant and then you see these little popcorn like structures on the roots and that's how you know you have them but your tomato will just lose vigor and it just won't work and i probably have them because i don't have that big a vegetable garden anymore so i can only rotate the crops so much so to alleviate some of that i continue to rotate the crops but also this year because i were a couple of plants i wanted to grow that just don't have the right vigor for oklahoma So I bought grafted tomatoes for those. And people kind of laughed at me for doing that, local friends, because they were like, are you kidding me? And I said, no, really, I want to grow some weird stuff. And since I want to grow weird stuff, I have a few. And I'm going to list those on my post to the ones that I decided. I bought some from Burpee and some from Totally Tomatoes. I've got to say the ones that came from Totally Tomatoes, I was kind of disappointed. They were really small and they came pretty early and they really struggled, but they are starting to hit their stride. We have one more difficult little creature to talk about. Before we talk about the next difficulty, we're really going to discourage Mm -hmm. people from growing tomatoes. We should mention that... No, don't. The grafted tomato has a really strong rootstock from almost a wild tomato Mm -hmm. and they graft onto it an heirloom variety and I've grown grafted. Um, I grew a grafted San Marzano next to a seed-grown San Marzano, which is a, an Italian plum tomato. And the difference mm-hmm. between those two plants was amazing. The grafted tomato was green and healthy and full of fruit. 
and the seed grown one struggled with blight and was almost, you know, to the point where it should just be pulled out of its misery. Right. So... Um, I've got to say I had the same experience. The reason people laugh at us for grafted tomatoes is because you're going to pay about 10 bucks a plant for a grafted tomato. Instead of four ninety five, or maybe. There's a, Some places $1.95. There's a greenhouse, um, a greenhouse, a garden center, and, they, and it's usually early in April when I'm not really ready to buy them or late in April. They have 10-cent tomatoes. And I tell you, people rip through those 10-cent tomatoes like nobody's business. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have anything like that here. I wish we did. But one of the ones I really wanted to grow this year was Mortgage Lifter. And Mortgage Lifter just does not do well in my garden. I have tried and tried to get it to grow because I want to eat it. Um, So I'm going to try a grafted version of Mortgage Lifter. Sounds good. Four other ones. I looked at Mortgage Lifter the other day, and I decided to get good old-fashioned Rutgers instead. Rutgers is a great plant, and here's the interesting thing is there's a bunch of different Rutgers out there um, because over time it's changed a little bit. So different people have different Rutgers seed. I put in one Rutgers tomato out in my garden, and it is struggling terribly. So I think I got one of the kind of sad versions. You might I did have. not plant this from seed. Yeah, something's wrong. So my plan is to, I'm probably going to get rid of that tomato and just go buy another Rutgers because Rutgers is one of my very favorite mid-season tomatoes. And ah. I think we also have to talk about Cherokee purple. It's not a grafted, you don't have to buy it grafted unless you live someplace that is hard to grow them. Do you grow Cherokee purple? I do not grow Cherokee purple. Again, I looked at those and I I just I went old fashioned with Rutgers, even though Cherokee purple is an old fashioned heirloom tomato. It is. It's an old fashioned tomato and it does really well in the South. I don't know how it would do in Indiana. So you need to talk about the last little problem with tomatoes. Okay, I'm gonna talk about the last little problem and then we're gonna mention a couple more books for them to read. So the last problem okay. is the tomato hornworm, which is huge. Yes. As big as your index finger. And you'll have healthy tomato plants full of leaves. Then you'll go out the next day and it's like, where are all the leaves gone? And it's because a tomato hornworm has literally been eating them all day long. And you'll see frass droppings as big as a pencil eraser on the ground. It is just a eating, pooping, horrible, horrible <laughs> <Machine>. c- caterpillar. <laughs> so you got to find the thing. you got to pick it off. It's not a caterpillar. It's a worm because yeah, it worm. makes a moth. It makes it's a, a worm. Moth. Okay, so it make, <laughs> makes a big moth. So you got to mm-hmm. find it, and you got to pick it off, and then I usually just chop it in two with a trowel. I used to give them to my chickens. I Sometimes I do this other thing, too, which you're going to think is crazy. If I have a tomato that's just not doing well and it's not helping anybody, I sometimes put the tomato hornworm on there. I put them all on the same plant, and the reason I do that is because then the wasps can get them. Yes, there's a parasitic wasp that likes to feast on the tomato hornworm. And so, D, for somebody who does not like wasp, you sure are kind to the wasp in your garden. (laughs) Okay, I don't like big red wasps, but i got to admit, I'm impressed by them sometimes. The other day, 
Um, I think were, were we going to talk about this on the dirt? It just let, naturally leads in. So let's just talk about them too. The parasitic wasps are tiny, and they won't. They don't do anything to human beings, but they sure do like to eat tomato hornworms. And it's really fun to see them on one. They make little bumps, and it's really creepy. And I like the creepy side of gardening sometimes. So that the other day I was out in my garden gathering lettuce and onions and turnips. Yes, we are growing turnips. And I noticed that a bunch of red wasps were in my garden, and they were hunting. And you probably wouldn't notice they're hunting. And in fact, if you were scared of them, you might jump because you'd think they were after you. But they aren't after you, my friends. They are after caterpillars and worms. And I looked down on one of my lettuces. And because we've had a lot more rain this year, I'm having a lot more trouble with all of the creepy crawlies. And so um, I watched while one of them grabbed a green worm off of my lettuce plant. And I looked down and there was all kinds of frass. And so they were hunting all through, and they managed to clean up those worms very, very quickly. Well, that is wonderful. It was wonderful. Made me happy. So, yeah, sometimes I leave them food because I'm Circle of life. So we should mention mm-hmm. two more things. We're going we're gonna to promote our own books here, Dee. So in my mm-hmm. book, Homegrown and Handpicked, A Year in a Gardening Life, I have a chapter on tomato growing lessons from my dad. And I know you've got mm-hmm. some stuff in your book, the 2030-something guide, gardening guide, garden guide, about how to mm-hmm. cage tomatoes. I have something on caging tomatoes, and I have something on just how to grow them in general. One thing we didn't mention about, that's also in our books, I'm sure, that we didn't mention about fertilizing the soil around them. Don't you usually do that when they first get blossoms? Yes, when they start blooming. Is that when you give them a little fertilizer? We, we just talked about how you shouldn't you know, give them too much nitrogen, so I wanted to be clear about that. Also, we have a whole podcast episode that is just on how to grow a vegetable garden. So there you go. And we encourage people to listen to that. So in the last little bit of time we have, Dee, let's talk about our dirt. We're going to talk about the Chelsea Chop. Well, you, sh- you go for it. Talk about it. So Chelsea is the big Chelsea flower show over in England that takes place um, in May. In, it's usually the week before our Memorial Day. And the Brits go crazy about Chelsea. They have live daily TV updates at night about the flower show. And you and I have been watching. Can you imagine that no. in America? No. No way. So <laughs> you and I have been watching on BritBox the Chelsea wrap-ups mm-hmm. each day. And I was really excited. The plant of the year was a sedum called Sedum tacosamensis. Atlantis is the variety. And it won the plant of the year designation, and it is hardy enough to grow in Indiana. So I ran, wow. I ran to the little greenhouse, and I said, do you have sedum Atlantis? She's like, I don't know if we got that or not. She said, but there is this one cool sedum I ordered just because it looks really fun. And it was Sedum Atlantis, so I bought four pots of it because it's the plant of the year in Chelsea. And where are you going to put it? Don't spoil it, Dee. I'll find places for it. It's not a big plant. (laughs) Actually, I wasn't trying to spoil it. I was thinking you could grow it in a container so it wouldn't drown. Well, there's a couple. I have a spot, a couple of spots that don't get uh, that wet, and I think I'll, well, I bought four plants. My sister thinks I'm giving her one, but I might not. So I'm going to plant in like three different places, and just uh, I'm sure it'll thrive. But anyway, cool. the Chelsea Chop, which I call the Indy 500 Chop, because that's the time of year here in Indianapolis 
when you cut back by half all your fall-blooming perennials like goldenrod, asters, moms, what else? I plant, those are the three I do. Yeah, and sometimes I cut back a little bit of my phlox paniculata if... um, if it's growing too tall for the roses that it surrounds, it just makes them bloom a little bit later. And that's why you cut everything back. You cut it back for two reasons. Asters want to take over the world. That's one reason. And so do garden mums, really good garden mums, like Sheffield and some of the others. Will's Wonderful is another one. They try to take over. So if you cut them back, it makes them branch out more, but, I'll, but not just keep on marching across your garden. And then they bloom later which is what you want them to do because you want them to bloom in August, September, or October. Right. And that's why you do the Chelsea chop, which I call the Indy 500 chop. And I Chelsea chopped today. I've still got another whole garden bed to Chelsea chop. But it's very pleasurable, too. It's a very fun thing to do. Right. And I'm going to Chelsea chop here in a little bit uh, by the end of the week. And I'm also going to cut back. There's a couple of uh, spring plants that have... uh, finish blooming and they're starting to form their seed one of them being blue dogbane amsonia Mm -hmm. i do not want that seeding all over so as soon as i'm done with my chelsea chop i'm going to go over and cut the seed heads off that thing too and look raggedy for a week or two and then it'll be fine it'll come right back and then Mm -hmm. i also do it to my salvias i cut back all the spent blooms so that they'll bloom again because and it's hard to do that but you i promise you you'll be glad you did so do we have any more time or are we out of time? We don't. I was just going to say, sometimes a gardener's best friend are those pruners and the being brave enough to go ahead and cut back those plants. It's the best thing you can do sometimes. I'd say almost always. I can't think of a time that really cutting things back, especially perennials, it's going to cause a problem at all. I don't either. So that is about all the time we have. So we're going to have to come back next week. We're going to give a thrilling update on our turnip crops. <laughs> We're going to get an update on your critter cam, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about the weather. Of course we are. And we're going to talk about how we met. Yes, yeah, so everybody tune in next time, and we'll tell you guys how we met, and all those other things, too. In the meantime, you can reach us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com. We're on Facebook as The Garden Angelist, Twitter as The Garden Angelist, and Instagram as The Garden Angelist. You can also download this podcast to iTunes and watch and do it on your computer or you can do it on apple podcasts on your phone or google play or spotify so i guess that's all that is except we should mention that they can also find you as red dirt ramblings slash d nash on instagram and i'm indie gardener on instagram we also have updates that tie into our podcast so check us out thank you guys so much for listening and chatting with us over the garden gate all right It was a lovely pleasure this afternoon, Dee. That it was. Have a great day, Carol. You too. Bye now. Bye.